Welcome to the Dr. Me First podcast with me, your colleague in medicine and coach in life, Dr. Erin Wiseman. I am so glad that you are back to join me here on Dr. Me First because we truly are working on trying to doctor ourselves first so we can go forth into healthcare and make it freaking amazing. Well, welcome. Yes, I am your super sassy host, Dr. Aaron Wiseman. I am that colleague in medicine and now for sure your life coach. So thank you for joining me today on episode number 58. I am talking with one of my IRL friends, in real life friends. This is Dr. Laurel Fick. She is an internal medicine physician and an amazing program director at St. Vincent's Transitional Year Residency in Indianapolis, Indiana. We'll get into how we met and how we're soulmates and her word, which is eudaimonia. But what I really want you to stay key in this, that this conversation's totally real and totally raw. And I had such a great time with it. And I think Laurel is absolutely amazing. So enjoy our conversation and then stick around afterwards for that kick of encouragement. Okay, here we go. Today is a really, really good one because not only am I speaking to a fellow female colleague, but she is literally my long lost sister that I should have had 25 years ago. I think there's something to us being soulmates. So. I think so. I think, I think we are. But anyway, Laurel, tell everybody about yourself and we'll jump into our conversation. Sure. Um, so I'm Laurel Fick. I am an internal medicine uh, doc here in Indianapolis and I am married to another doctor. And we have two little girls, four and six. My passions, I'm a residency director, so my passions really are trainees and teaching people how to be, actually really taking, taking great care of human beings and teaching, and teaching people how to do that well. And I think a lot of that really includes um, a focus on physician well-being, which is kind of my other passion, what I do. And that's actually how we met, both right. being from the state of Indiana. We were at a conference called FIRM, Finding Inspiration and Resiliency in Medicine, and you were the freaking keynote speaker. And afterwards, a, I was like, I got to meet this woman. I'm a big deal. I'm a big deal. Yes. You, you definitely are. And since then, we've kept in contact. And it's been so much fun to have a close BFF in all things wellness. Because sometimes it feels pretty isolating in the culture of medicine. Absolutely. Swimming upstream, going against the, the, the flow of things. All right. Well, tell them your word and the definition of it, because I'm not even going to try to attempt it right now. All right. So here's my word. And I talked about this at the conference. So you've heard this word before. But the word, I've only known this word for about a year. The word is eudaimonia. It's E-U-D-A-I-M-O-N-I-A. Eudaimonia. It's a Greek, it's a Greek origin word. And there actually aren't any English words that really translate well to the word. But the best translation of it is means human flourishing so sort of the equivalent of humans living their their best life becoming their best versions of themselves and that journey uh, to eudaimonia is not just a happy journey so this actually takes into account trials tribulations struggles and stresses sort of informing who we are and who we become Um, and i sort of love the concept of us always working towards improving, learning, growing, adapting uh, to become our best selves. And I think not just us, but for like our everybody, our patients, our families, our children, a cat, you know, whatever. That's right. Where'd you pick up the word? So uh, every year at our resident graduation, we have our 
our residents who are graduating pick a faculty member who get to sort of present them and sort of almost like a little bit of a roast. Um, so one of the residents last year, his name is Brad Fosia. He's practicing down in Louisiana now. He uh, picked his, uh, one of his attendings, Dr. Kurt Ward, who's our DIO, um, to present him. And Dr. Ward relayed a conversation from when he had interviewed Brad for residency four years prior. And one of the questions that he had asked him was, how do you know you will have achieved success in life sort of thing? This is, it's a pretty tricky interview question. I usually just ask, like, what's your favorite craft beer or something? This isn't going to be, you know, that hardcore. Anyway, Brad responds with, when I've achieved eudaimonia, and none of us knew what this word meant. So then Dr. Ward at this graduation celebration goes on to tell us what the word means, and I'm sort of just immediately turned on to this concept of, I think that's, a, I think it's a concept that I've always just really fundamentally felt in the way that I interact with, with patients, with relationships with family, and also with myself, um, and that he put a word to the feeling, the sentiment, and that was really, really good. Yeah, I love when that happens. It feels like something clicks into place. You're like, yep. oh. That's what that is, yeah. Well, awesome. So in the last year, how have you been living that out personally and professionally? Wow, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I think I... I think I'm somebody who, since the time I was little, has always been interested in, in self-improvements and aware of my limitations and trying to um, really become the best person I can be. And along the way, you make a lot of mistakes. You know, looking back, and like going, I go in front of these residents or like at this firm conference, and I'm speaking to all these medical students, and they look at me like I'm some, you know, expert in all this well-being and got all my stuff together. And then I look back and I'm like, look at all the people I've hurt in the past or mistakes I made or things I should have never said or done. Um, but that's really all part of the process. And I think the way that it's helped me in the last year, we've done, we do a lot of work with this, you know, well-being at work, but now, or with the residency program, but now we're expanding it to other residency programs, working with our parent hospital to expand some of those concepts nationally across a big, you know, wide swath of, of hospitals, um, doing a lot of work with mentoring. And really the magic though happens in the one-on-one -on -one conversations when people feel safe. Absolutely. So I can do and talk the talk, but it's when I have a resident come into my office on a Thursday afternoon at four o'clock who just says, do you have a second? And I say, absolutely. Come on in. Um, that is really what probably gives me the most joy. But by doing the other things, you create the environment where they know that it's safe to do that. And that's the whole key. It is. It is because that environment has not been there. So it's, it's got to be fostered. It's got to be, they've got to be willing to even like step through the door frame to come yes. have that conversation. That's right. So we created these safe zones. They're like little placards. I totally, if Google's listening, I totally stole this off Google, just some image, but I just, it's called like well-being safe zone. And I sent like an email out and I said, faculty, coordinators, whoever, print this little sign up. If you want to be a safe, judgment-free place, people can come and just vent or get support. And so you'll just see them kind of like scattered around the department, this little signs everywhere. Yeah. Pretty awesome. To give a visual representation of like, hey, we're because, safe. Yeah. And I think that's so important to be that lighthouse kind of on the hill to, to kind of just be a light. Not evidently when you need it on the great days when the sun is out, but during the middle of those storms. 
you hopefully it. it somebody sees it. I could totally relate from even being just a young kid, teenager, interested in self-improvement. And it wasn't until later when I looked back, I had like dozens of like inspirational quote books. Like I would pick them up at yard sales and like just random places that, and it wasn't until like I was unpacking boxes from my parents' home that I was like, God, that and like cheesy, like cartoon books, like Garfield. <laughs> Interesting combination, right? It is. And you know, that's one thing that I've thought about. I was like, man, even as like a 10 year old kid, I was interested in like being the best person that I could be. What oh, happened yeah. along the way? Whatever. You're still that person. But no, but I, I mean, like, where did I get so psycho? about being so perfectionistic, not allowing myself to make mistakes and knowing that like part of the journey is making those mistakes. Oh, I think, don't you think that that's just part of the machine of type A people in medicine? Like that's just the track, like just continually forces you to be the best and the best and the best and the best because all they, they always are dangling in front of you because it's about a patient, right? So you can never feel good about how the work that you're doing because it's never really going to be perfect. Because we can't provide care. Medicine's not a perfect world. So yeah. it's like the always out in front of us. And I think, so that's what I think it does to our mentality. But let me guess, so back in high school, you were probably the person people would come to when they needed somebody to talk to. Um, I think so. I was a little bit bitchy. You know, I was an athlete as well. I, so I, I scared so people. So I. They can still come to us. <laughs> But yeah, so I mean, I think, I think definitely like teammates and stuff and people who knew me, but I know that I went to a class reunion here recently and they were always like, you were so intense. I was like, no, I wasn't. I was just focused. Yeah. A little synonymous there. I got that. I understand. So yeah. It's tricky, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know. It is. And, and okay. that's one thing at being a parent now, I'm like, you know how, cause I see these tendencies in my own children. And so mm -hmm. I'm like, how do I like, how do I foster this, but in a way that they don't get super pathologic about it? Like for instance, my seven, yeah, my seven year old just brought home his third, third quarter report card. And he yeah. was like, mom, what do you think of it? And I was like, buddy, it looks like you have done a great job. And he was like, well, my reading went down from a 97 to 95. And I was like, well, what does that mean? And he was like, well, you know, and, and so like trying to be like, buddy, did you do your best? You right. know? That's and, right. but I can already see in him where he's like, well, mom, but it's not an A plus. And I'm like, can you read? Like, are we good? Yep. Life's not about the A plus. I, I hope that, I hope that we can instill that in our children. Cause I worry about that too. Cause I see it in my, is it your, it's your oldest, right? Yeah. My oldest. My oldest, that tendency towards perfectionism and being a little bit high strung and being uncomfortable when things aren't perfect or just right. I know. I worry about that. I try to keep it very open. I was just talking yesterday to a person about cussing in their home and like, is it acceptable or is it not? And I was like, well, my stance with my kids is if you can explain to me what the word means and you use it right, you can use it. But wow. if you don't know what it means... And it's been a really good rule because they've been saying things like that they don't understand, that they got yeah. off the bus. Yeah. And I'm like, what does that mean? And then when I pin them down, they're like, well, I just heard it on the bus. And I'm like, well, then you can't use it yet until you know what it means. And it can be like just silly things, not evidently like dropping the F-bomb or anything. But it's just been good because then also they flip it back on me and they will bring me words. Like the other day, my five-year-old was like, 
mom, what does idiot mean? And I was like, well, it's somebody who's really foolish and doing dumb things. And he was like, oh, I was like, it's really not the best word to like call your friends or family though. And so yeah. we got to like talk that through and it's really expounded like me and my husband, my husband gets so squirrely about body parts. And so like using the right words. So then we can like talk about like the anatomy of exactly where they're at instead of okay. using like pet names has right. been hard for him. Yeah. You just got to go there. I mean, you're a physician after all. These are the words we use. But I hear you. It is. It is. So it's been good. It's been, it's been part of that whole parenting journey. I mean, that's like doctoring is hard, but parenting, there, there's no books that, that really give you the right answers. No, no. I remember my mom always saying that there's no book on how to deal with this. It's all different. The context is always different for every scenario. So, and your kids are different, right? So like my six-year-old's way different than my four-year-old respond way differently to the exact same situation. So um, you just never know. You just got to cross your fingers and hope that we're able to pull it off. Yeah. I do hope that when they get further down in their journey that they can look back and see us like right now where we're at being like, you know what? Mom was doing a good job at that time. Cause I know yeah. a couple of years ago when I was in the middle of burnout, I don't think I could say that. And to use your word of etymonia, like being in the middle of human flourishing, like, no, it's not like all sunshine and rainbows and unicorns popping out, but you know, it's not bad either. Like, I enjoy it for the most part. For the most part, it's good. And we're just not there yet, right? So right. I just all characterize it for them as we're just not there yet. Tell me a little bit more. Share with the viewers uh, about your residency program because yours, yours is a little different with the transitional year and kind of what you guys work with your residents on. Yeah, so we started this, let's see, back in, I think, 2015 um, when some of the burnout literature was just starting to hit. Um, we did a kind of a... I don't know. It was one of the Mazlock burnout inventories, but wasn't the official Mazlock, sort of a modified one that we sort of mocked up. And it turns out we did it with our residents and faculty. So I do the transitional year. I have 24 interns. And then I also am an associate director with the medicine program. We have 42 uh, internal medicine residents. And then we have about, I don't know, 60 total faculty. So pretty big departments here in the Midwest at a community hospital. Um, and we found that we, over half of our faculty had some signs or symptoms of burnout in residents, which was consistent with the natural, national average. So we began thinking about, well, how are we going to address this situation? Created this kind of wellness needs assessment. So kind of turning the conversation from burnout to well-being, uh, which I really prefer, having them reflect on what they need to tick, uh, which is kind of one of my core principles with them is that they need to know themselves. Um, you cannot improve your own personal well-being if you don't just know what you as an individual need to thrive professionally, personally, financially, mentally, emotionally, and all the different kind of domains of well-being. And then we just sort of rolled out um, a array, a cornucopia of wellness programming. A lot of it was through social media because for residents who are on asynchronous schedules, so nights, weekends, different campuses, they're really disconnected. So improving that connection has been really, really helpful for us. We have a, a big following on social media with our residency program. And myself and another faculty and three residents are the primary posters for that. Um, and then in addition to that, we do other longitudinal type activities and then event-based work as well. Um, so it's just continuous. You know, we have a monthly bulletin. I send out a weekly well-being blurb with upcoming events and things. And it usually has like two weeks ago, I did a Marie Kondo, um, like how to uh, Mari your life, you know, basically a little snippet thought or reflection piece for them to take forward with them. So it's been very effective. We're seeing the needle move a lot on just sort of our overall culture change within the department, which includes residents and faculty. We don't do it just for residents or just for faculty. We're all in it together. Um, 
we're seeing that, but we're also seeing the needle move in terms of we're seeing that the effects of what we're doing at work are actually improving their personal well-being, which is really exciting. So to have something organizational that's improving how they're feeling outside of their jobs, I think it's very inspirational. I love it. Yeah. And it is a time thing. You know, it's one of those things that we all want to fix it right now, right here. But just like you said, starting it back in 2015, like now you're, you're finally getting those fruits of your labor and you seeing faculty and, and residents flourish through it all. So I applaud you for all your Thank efforts you. with that and keep up the good work. I got Thanks. you back. So do 4,000 listeners that are tuning into this podcast as well. And so if anybody wants to follow the social media thing that you're doing for the residency or get in touch with you, where can they find you at? Yeah, so um, I am active kind of professionally on Twitter. That's probably my preferred um, mode of contact for that. I'm at Laurel Fick, so at L-A-U-R-E-L-F as in Frank, I-C-K. And then if you want to see what we're doing from a program standpoint, anybody can follow us on our residency. Instagram is actually what the residents like the most, and that's at S-T-V-I-M residency. And feel free to steal uh, from us, still ideas. We don't, we're not trying to, um, you know, have rights over anything that we're doing. We're trying to just share um, what we are learning has made an impact in changing our culture of well-being. Definitely. Because together we rise. That's for sure. Yep. You got it. All right. Well, we'll talk more later. Sounds great. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for having me. So eudaimonia. It's a really fun word to say as I keep saying it over and over again. And I had to take a deep dive into it. Well, a Google search into it, maybe is a better way to put it. So I was jumping into what some of the Greek philosophers thought about eudaimonia. And the meaning that they put onto it was around achieving the best conditions possible for being a human in every sense, not just happiness, but also virtue, morality, and a meaningful life. So they described it as the ultimate goal of philosophy was eudaimonia, which was to become better people, to fulfill our unique potential as human beings. And even Aristotle had wrote about the idea, and he was probably the one that wrote most about it, in that To achieve eudaimonia, he argued that by working hard, cultivating our virtues, and excelling at whatever tasks, nature, and circumstances came to you was how you achieve eudaimonia. But then he also wrote that living in the right kind of place and balancing activities with wisdom was also essential to achieving eudaimonia as well. And he goes on to further talk about, like, in addition to our specific roles of parent, doctor, philosopher, whatever, that all humans share a purpose. The one thing we all do that makes us human in order to achieve eudaimonia, which is to excel as well as being, you know, a moral person and controlling our emotions and using reason, and that this is actually the most advanced and unique of human abilities. So he really argued against that instead of happiness, we should focus on eudaimonia, which is fulfillment, living a moral life, flourishing, and having moral or spiritual success. So when I kind of read through that, I thought, 
You know, it's really true. And I'm really excited that I have a term with some philosophical backing now to support what I'm trying to do in my own life and what I think we're all trying to do. We're all trying to achieve eudaimonia. And that doesn't evidently mean like happiness and unicorns and sunshine, but that we're trying to live to our fullest self and our most meaningful life. And so I ask you, through all of your thought process, how have you tried to achieve eudaimonia? And what has worked and what hasn't worked? And then the other philosophical side comes into me a little bit when I think about, can we ever fully reach eudaimonia? But does us being human potentially keep us from reaching that? I don't know. It's kind of a deep dive that I kind of got into. But I do have to share a personal story where I think I've kind of gotten a good whiff of eudaimonia. It was the other day. I got the kids off to daycare and school and my husband, um, he's getting busy with farming season. So sent him off to the farm and I just kind of sat in my house in my home office getting ready to do my clinical work and wrapping up some emails. And I just thought I'm cheating the system. Like this is, this is too good to be true. This feels fulfilled. And I have to say, I don't ever really think I felt that when I was working full-time clinically, that I ever felt like I was flourishing as a parent, as a person, as a professional. And so what I guess I want to do today with this kick of encouragement is really encourage you and say, there is a way I think that you can have a small taste of eudaimonia, that you can feel fulfilled. Your cup can overflow and you too can feel like you're cheating the system. So I hope that gets through to you and I hope that it's encouraging to you and not that you dwell, that you don't have it, but that you know that it's available and it's there for you. And it just takes some small little changes day after day. So hang in there, my friend. And if you want to talk more, let's hop on a phone call together. I would love just to get to know you and your story and see perhaps where I can help you. So, as always, as we wrap this up, please remember, your life, your calling, your pulse matters.